Hey, this is Eugene Rapkin, and you're listening to the Style Zeitgeist Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Eugene, and I am back with my good friend, uh, journalist and writer and critic, Philippe Hashemi. And we are here to discuss once again fashion, another fashion season that's quite over although like they're not really over anymore <laughs> because they're now so spread out but anyway the bulk of it is over so philippe welcome thank you eugene very nice to be here again and lovely to hear you and see you it's very nice yes great uh, so we're going to talk about uh, menswear and couture but i guess let's start backwards right because i know you you were eager uh to talk about Balenciaga's uh, couture de debut uh, under Demna, who I heard now refuses to use his last name. I don't know what that's about, but oh. uh, yeah, he's like Prince now. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, it's very... uh, but I know we had a bit of a difference in opinions. So I'm curious, you know, to tell the audience your thoughts. Well, first of all, um, obviously, you know, reopening uh, the couture atelier after all these years uh, is a big historical thing. And I mean, it is significant in terms of uh, what's going on right now. And it does carry a lot of weight around uh, around the brand. So I guess we can discuss together later the reasons why this is happening again. But obviously, it's a, it's a big thing. And especially for for France and for, for this kind of couture landscape, you know, it does make a, it does make a difference. Um, I have to say that the day of the show, uh, waking up, you know, and waiting for the, for the live stream to, to start, I felt quite excited, uh, which, you know, I haven't felt in a, in a really long time. So there was this sense of expectation. And I guess it was building up, uh, until the moment of the, uh, of the show. And, I have to tell you that uh, I think Demna delivered and that he managed to reconcile his own contribution and his own stylistic approach with uh, Balenciaga's heritage. So I thought it was actually quite powerful. And the very first look, if you saw it, was, you know, uh, a black suit, like a kind of mannish tailored black suit worn with yeah. a single carnation uh, flower. And that instantly reminded me of Pina Bausch wearing Yoji, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because they, they used to have this kinship together, this relationship. Yeah. And it reminded me, of course, of Nelken, which is one of her most famous works, a beautiful piece of, of dance and choreography. And that sort of like really, really appealed to me that... Uh, he made a reference to her mm -hmm. because for me, um, it sort of added gravitas in a way. It sort of added uh, a sense of uh, artistic exploration and uh, something also a bit uh, existentialist in a strange way. You know, this kind of woman in a very plain black suit wearing men's clothes with that single flower. I just thought it was a very beautiful, poetic image. So he started the show this way. And then, you know, throughout the whole presentation, which was soundless, there was absolutely no music, uh, things started to build up. And I think the crescendo really 
you know, happened in the end. So I thought as a show, it was very well uh, orchestrated, definitely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I definitely, well, I didn't hate it. Uh, so that's already an achievement <laughs> for me as far as Balenciaga and the Demna goes. Uh, I thought primarily two things. Uh, first, it doesn't say couture to me. There, there were a couple of things that did say, yeah, this is couture. Uh, but I thought, well, this is just another collection, something he's done. All the best silhouettes he's done before, but they were just not, like in nicer fabrics. And like a lot of those silhouettes he did in the first collection for Balenciaga, which now in retrospect looks incredible compared to <laughs> the rest of <laughs> the stuff is done after, which is just fashion merge. Uh, so I really, so now that it actually brings up an interesting question, which is a point for Demna, I think, because are we now also redefining what couture is? And we should redefine what couture is. But to me, it seemed more of erasure of continuous erasure of meaning rather than a, red, a redefinition of what haute couture could be. You know, and obviously this is 2021 and haute couture should have another meaning, I suppose, because, I mean, we'll get into it in a minute, but let's face it, compared to like Chanel and Dior and Fancy, like <laughs> this was awesome, <laughs> you know, because they continued this boring conventional bourgeois stuff that just like has like yeah i don't know what place it has in 2021 so you know hooray for that for them but again i felt like okay we've seen it all before or most of it not everything but just done in nicer fabrics so that's one thing and the second thing that i didn't care for that there was zero continuity in terms of a collection. Like I couldn't say it was a collection. I could, I would, like it was a hodgepodge of stuff without really, I couldn't really put a line through it, you know, could, could thread it all together. Like, yeah, there were like, you know, three looks here and three looks there, but there wasn't a collection in the sense we're used to uh, thinking of what a collection is, meaning that, you know, there is a story behind as opposed to something that say Galeana did at Margiela, which was like diametrically opposite, you know, that he does clear storytelling. So that's what lacked for me, because I was, what I was looking was were uh, a, a selection of clothes, but I wouldn't say it was a collection. Okay. I do understand why you would look at it this way, but for me, it wasn't so much about that continuity or this sort of red thread uh, throughout. It was more about the posture and the attitude and this kind of sculptural uh, tailoring, this very graphic kind of shapes that he pushed. And personally, it felt couture to me because of that attitude. There was something very dignified about it, very stark, very sleek, quite sharp. 
and the final looks, you know, where he sort of reconciled uh, utility shapes with mm -hmm. the Balenciaga backs and this whole theater and this whole sort of Baroque language of, of uh, traditional couture for me, that was spot on. I really mm -hmm. felt that, you know, it was towards the end. That's what I'm telling you. I felt it was building up towards that moment. And there were things for me like the denim looks and this, uh, you know, hoodie, all these things were unnecessary. They actually didn't really bring anything. But when there was a dialogue between the utility, the urban, and the grant, you know, this kind mm -hmm. of like over sort of, you know, um, it's not even about uh, embellishment or it's not even about uh, decoration. It's about an attitude. I mean, it's, it's kind of difficult to encapsulate, but mm -hmm. it's about this sort of couture dimension, you know? Mm -hmm. And he talked a lot about elevation uh, in a preview with uh, Women's Wear Daily. He was talking about this idea of putting the, the models on a pedestal, you know, and elevating mm -hmm. them. And I really felt that, I really felt that there was something quite um, empowering about the clothes, you know, it was, they were quite empowering. Mm -hmm. And also to go back to your point of this speaking to a new generation and making all the other couture houses look old fashioned, like, you know, they're pulling out, you know, their old, old box of tricks. It's definitely true because it does make everybody else look redundant. <laughs> and I think that's the same. It's exactly yeah. the same thing that happened with his very first collection. And I totally agree with you. You know, if we go back to the very first show of Demna for Balenciaga, it was a shock. You know, it really yeah. made, uh, it made your eye adjust to a different kind of thing. So that for me was already very positive. And then I would like to say that the emphasis on construction, on tailoring and on dramatic shapes mm -hmm. for me, means a departure from that kind of, you know, boring sportswear that we've seen. So yeah. I also feel that he's sending out a message which could have consequences overall. I'm not sure, you know, but mm -hmm. I'm thinking there's a possibility that people are going to crave these kinds of clothes again. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. And I think you and I, and I think a couple of other people will like the same look best. It was this, yeah, it was turning that utilitarian uh, into this sort of big, huge coat with the big hood. I think it's the one you posted on your Instagram. Yeah. Uh, and that really was the best look. And that, to me, is the redefinition of couture. Yeah. That was really, that was the coolest look of the show, probably. And one thing also I want to say, and you will probably, you know, Agree or disagree, I'm not sure. But for me, it was a bit more this time about beauty and less about irony, you know. And I feel mm. that the brand has been so obsessed with this kind of sarcasm, you know, and this kind yeah. of irony that I felt that for couture, you know, the, the goals and the, the circumstances were different. And Demna had to come up with a language that was more poetic Mm -hmm. Something that could also, you know, inspire us in a different way. So the irony was really played down, which I appreciated, obviously, you know. <laughs> yeah, me and, too. Yeah. So uh, for me, it was, uh, you know, he kind of understood what the scope of couture is. And um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, when we were chatting, um, 
when Alexander Fury published some close-ups on his Instagram of the fabrics, it was quite surprising to see that mm-hmm. what was supposed to be toweling, you know, looked like shredded leather, that the uh, embossed crocodile print was computer software, you know, like 3D printing. So there were a lot of things that were technically difficult in order to make the pieces. And again, I didn't get the chance to see the clothes uh, you know, uh, in a Risi, I wasn't in Paris, but yeah, I would love to see them because I think mm-hmm. then you, you get the full dimension of what couture means. And of course, you need to experience it as getting inside the garment because that's the power of couture. You know, when you wear a garment that's been made, especially for you, it really feels like you've had it all your life. So that kind of thing is also very, very special, you know, that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree there. Uh, well, let's wait and see. There's still work to be done. And, and I do, I wish what, I wish, like for me, there was still these hints of irony in there, but there were definitely toned down. But there was still like your stupid tracksuit, you know, like things like that, like, like blue jeans that, you know, you can find in any clearance bin and any, <laughs> I mean, that, that I agree Max. that that was, that was it, unnecessary. It was unnecessary. Was a, yeah. And I thought if you want to redefine couture or not erase meaning, take that fabric, take a tracksuit fabric and make a gown out of it. Mm-hmm. Like if yeah. that's what you really want to do, then do it. Like say like mm-hmm. that, that to me would be cool. You know, like to make an evening gown out of a tracksuit fabric, right? Yeah. Uh, but like, like, yeah. So I wish it was less literal, but yeah, there were definitely, again, I expected less. So, hey, why not? And uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, like I said, compared to uh, Fancy, Dior, and Chanel, this was like, incredible stuff what is going on over there i feel like virginie viard from chanel and maria gracia curie from dior they're like on the downslope of for the award for the most boring designer but you know if you if i mean i've been thinking a lot lately about karl lagerfeld and and what he was bringing to chanel and besides being uh, an amazing technician because obviously he had years and years of experience as a craftsman. Um, he also had a lot of wit, you know, uh, a s- irreverence, a sense of yes. humor. He was present yes. in the media. I mean, in France, uh, he was a very important figure in the culture because he would also go to television and comment on, uh, you know, whatever was going on in society at the time. He had an opinion about everything. So he really was your ultimate Renaissance man, you know. And it's a little bit like the Alaya story. How do you live up to such a charismatic guy, you know? Mm-hmm. How do you not only deliver the goods in your shows, but also have that presence, you know, have that dimension as a designer? And at the moment, you know, I don't really think that these groups are focused on turning out charismatic uh, designers. They just want to sell. They just want to sell as much as they can. And they're looking for people like Maria Grazia Dior, who can just do basically high-end Zara. Because let's Mm -hmm. face it, you know, Dior is Zara for the rich. I mean, that's what I always say. Oh, my God. I don't know know if you saw in my Instagram. Sorry to interrupt you, but I went to Brother of Goodman the other day and Mm -hmm. I went with my wife and we went to the shoot. 
salon, as they call it. There was nothing yeah. salon about it. And the Dior collection was the worst thing in there. It just like garbage for no, you know, no rich housewives, just this logo, most common denominator shit. Like I have no other words for it. It was so embarrassing. And the fact that it was like it Bergdorf and that was their selection. I like really how low can this brand fall? I, I, I really, it's I mean, it's got, to be honest with you, with me, with that Dior story and all the influencers and Chiara Ferrani and all this fake feminism discourse, this crap, you know, it's come to a point where I'm, I'm sort of growing a tougher skin now and I'm becoming quite indifferent to her work because mm -hmm. it makes me so, it makes me so angry, you know? Yeah. It just yeah. makes me so angry to see this like ugly logo uh, shoved everywhere and to see also the people wearing it, how cheap it looks. It looks so cheap. Really? You know? It really yeah, does. It does. It's amazing. And it's, it's kind of, for me, it's degrading, you know, because mm -hmm. Dior remains a beautiful house no matter what. It has yeah. an, an impressive legacy and it's about femininity and it's about power and it's about strength. And when I see what Maria Grazia does, it's just crass, you know, it's crass commercialism and it's really depressing so to be honest with you i, I, I try to avoid dior as you know <laughs> in the physical world and everywhere else i try to avoid it as much as i can because there's never anything i see that i like i mean that's the truth there's nothing yeah. she creates that i like and then also you know this whole story about about feminism and and selling out uh $800 t-shirts come on you know don't even go yeah. there with me like, don't yeah. go there with me. You know, that's, I'm a woman designing for women. This is, you know, no, don't go there. It's like, don't, yeah. don't pull, don't pull that card with me because it's just about corporate greed here, you know? So let's be honest and don't try Absolutely. to Absolutely. sell me and this story about female emancipation, you know, with a yeah. logo on your back, you know, don't do that, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no. And it's, you know, it's on both fronts that, that brand women's and men's because what Kim Jones is doing is like equally horrible. It, yeah. You know, and, and let's talk about Fendi Couture, that mother of the bride thing. I, I mean, please. Oh like. my God. <laughs> what, this, who, who? I mean, who, why, how? <laughs> I'll tell you this collection, this Fendi Couture collection with, by the incredibly talented Mr. Jones was made for the target market is Russia circa 1916. <laughs> okay, yes. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's the target, you know, it, it's the Zarinas. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, you're right. That, that, yeah. I was like, I was like, oh, that, that's, that's your target market. I mean, we're 105 years later, <laughs> you know, in the timeline. No, I mean, you, you're actually spot on because this, I just find it extremely dated. I find that the clothes age anybody else who puts them on, but I could say the same about Chanel, you know? Yeah. And um, it's just like this kind of pompous, pretentious vision of what couture is. Mm -hmm. it, it does not feel modern to me. It does not feel contemporary. And I don't even know what the point of it is. I mean, if you remember this amazing show that Fendi Couture did in Rome, you know, with all the furs mm -hmm. and all the, mm -hmm. that was, that was like real craftsmanship. That was so exciting. So my whole question is, do we need someone like him to be there? You know, there's a wonderful atelier. There are great people working there. So why, you know, why yeah. have this kind of, I, I don't, 
I don't understand, but I mean, okay, there must be a market for it, you know, because I'm, uh, yeah, I'm at loss for words when it comes to Fendi Couture. I don't even know what to say about it. You know? <laughs> yeah. I know, same here. I was like, what am I looking at? Like, this is so bad. And let's face it, he, Jones doesn't know how to design women's wear. Like, why would you? Uh, it's got to be, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because he's such a workhorse where they're like, well, why don't you just go do that too? And so we get a two for one or something <laughs> yeah, instead of hiring uh, a real women's wear designer. That's a, that's, that's a bit like the Balenciaga Gucci collab. You know, it's two for the yeah, price of one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They're like, well, yeah. what, what? I mean, he's clearly so like stretched, so thin with all these like collabs like what what was this dior and sakai collab for example did you even see that no no I, <laughs> no yeah, i don't was... think i did but but talking about sakai i would love to know what you thought about uh gautier and sakai together if you yeah. like that or not i loved it i thought yeah. it was incredible i thought like and listen let's face it you take two real designers and you match them up and i thought it was beautiful i thought it was very very modern especially those looks where she took like you know the bomber jacket idea and turned it into couture dresses and that's what mm -hmm. i meant when i was when we were just talking about balenciaga i was like yeah you know take the tracksuit fabric and make a gown out of it right yeah. that's modern uh so yeah i thought i thought it was phenomenal i like how she took uh you know gautier's like codes but mm -hmm. made them very her own because a lot of times and i think we'll get into it in a second i think that was the issue with the alaya show a lot of mm -hmm. times like you know you make a first collection and designers are like too differential yeah, maybe because they're scared or, or whatnot. It's or an homage, an homage yeah, situation. Yeah, it's yeah, an yeah. homage, and and this was this was not an homage. You know, this was like really, it was a really kick-ass collection. Like, no, I I, I absolutely loved it. W what did you think? I think it had a lot of energy. I think you definitely felt that. Shitose Abe was bringing her kind of, you know, um, modernist, unconventional, hybrid sort of approach, which I, I really loved. And I think she made Gautier look a lot more modern because let's face it, the, the very last couture shows that he did, you know, uh, did, felt a little bit sort of out of touch to me. Mm -hmm. So she really brought this kind of modern edge to it. There were a couple of looks that were very much, uh, you know, sort of references to the 90s. Yeah, Some of yeah. it, you know, and I felt that that was a bit nostalgic and I didn't really mm -hmm. think you, you needed to go there, to be honest. But the fusion between the two of them was, was super interesting. Yeah. So definitely yeah. beautiful clothes that you want to wear and exciting and, and for every day as well. That's the thing. I mm -hmm. mean... If you think about some of the Balenciaga pieces again, uh, they were made for every day, you know. Yeah, so I, yeah, true. That maybe maybe that is the future of couture instead of wallowing into these, you know, stupid gowns that nobody cares <laughs> yeah. about. You know? I no. know. <laughs> Where it's like every time, like again, to go back to Bertolt Goodman because there's nowhere else to go anymore, unfortunately, in New York. <laughs> there's that floor with evening gowns, and wherever we walk by there, my wife was like, "What is?" that and i'm like well it's a world you don't know about but it exists <laughs> yeah. no i can i can imagine 
I can imagine the, sh the shock on her face discovering a new planet that she's yeah, never yeah, seen like, like, before. What, why? Like, why does that yeah. exist? And I'm like, uh, certain environs on the Upper East Side, they still want their, you know, sparkly uh, silver <laughs> evening gowns. You know, they still wear Carolina Herreras. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. Uh, but yeah, no, I absolutely loved um, Gautier Sakai. And again, hey, it's it, one important thing it showed, unlike, you know, the Dior Sakai, which was like, again, like why? Like, you know, two logos for the price of one. This showed that a collaboration between two genuinely uh, creative designers, it can work. It can work. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, you could do it. I think it's been the most successful so far. You know, even like uh, nothing else felt quite as powerful, you know, and even though like I'm a fan of both, you know, uh, Undercover, of course, the Valentina, even that didn't feel nearly as powerful as what we saw right now. I think what's interesting about Sakai uh, Gautier is that, you know, I wouldn't even call it a collaboration. I think it's a real partnership and it's uh, mm. also a, fu a fusion of two talents. And we've also been a, a little bit oversaturated with that collaboration thing. But I think when you have two, two artists that really listen to each other and, you know, I, I know that Gautier is extremely stubborn because I know that from the teams that <laughs> used to work with him before. So I think whatever Shitos they use to seduce him or to sort of, you know, make the collection go a little bit more into her way. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, what did you think of Alaya? I thought that it worked as a, as an homage exercise. Mm, but I don't think it said anything new about the brand. And I don't think it delivered anything that was, you know, directional in any way. The problem is, again, it's a little bit the same situation as, as Chanel. Um, how do you measure up with someone like, like Azedine? I mean, it's almost like an impossible job, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like big, big shoes to fill in. And it's, I don't know, I just find it, uh, like almost like an impossible challenge. And also when I saw the reactions of the press saying that he was making Alaya sexier, I found that ridiculous because Alaya owned sex for 35 years. I mean, he, yeah. Al Alaya was sex, you know? I mean, the woman just put the clothes on and that was it. I mean, there was a yeah. transformation happening. So you cannot really say that Peter Mullier is making the brand sexier. That doesn't work for me. So I, I just don't know what... Uh, what the I'm, I'm yeah it's gonna sound maybe a bit a bit uh, nasty but what is the point i i, I don't know mm -hmm. i don't know yeah yeah what? i'm also not sure i had the same reaction and i i do think peter Millier is a talented designer definitely uh, and i hope but yeah but i don't know how you how you update that house does it need updating maybe that's the first question um uh, and if it does you know how do you do it and i don't know maybe yeah it's i suppose it's hard to make a radical break from what Eli did because it's such a strong signature 
I think he said to Kathy Horin, uh, I don't know if you read her piece about the, the Alaya show, but he said to Kathy Horin that he wanted to uh, attract a younger customer and also that he argued that many young people didn't know about Alaya, which is, you know, probably true. Yeah. Uh, but is it young, really? I mean, considering the price point and, and the kind of how womanly it is, is this what mm-hmm. a young 20... 20- 20-year-old is going to gravitate towards? No. I, I doubt. No. 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 So, yeah, absolutely not. I actually no longer understand who the brand is for. We knew who it was for in the 90s, in mm-hmm. the 80s, in the 90s, definitely. But I'm now actually not sure. And, um, and I'm going to sound probably incredibly ignorant right now, but I'm just going to say it. Like, me... Essentially growing up with fashion in America and coming to fashion from, you know, youth subculture. I obviously having a lot of respect for Alaya and the skill and setter. Uh, you know, that, that bourgeois thing like has never left me. So every time I looked at it, I was like, it's beautiful. And yes, it is very sexy, but, but it, I know it was subversive at some point. But mm-hmm. it doesn't, it no longer is, you know, it, it, it no longer is. And I, and I do wonder what is the place for it today, except in like, you know, in an Alexander Fury fetish world. <laughs> no, I mean, you've got a very good point. I think that what they should do is uh, experiment and they should do fabric research because that's the thing that, Alaya himself did mm-hmm. at the time, you know, with all the lycra, the knits, you know, he did amazing like research. Um, I have in fact a few months ago interviewed, uh, one of the people who worked with him in the atelier, you know, and he was so obsessive about mm-hmm. getting things right. And if something didn't live to his standards, he would just chuck it away. So, uh, and nobody that that's the kind of world that doesn't exist, I guess, uh, any yeah. longer. But at the same time, you know, you should take it into a kind of experimental, exciting direction, maybe try new fabrics. You know, you really mm-hmm. have the danger with Alaya of getting stuck into that, uh, you know, referential thing and then stay there yeah, forever. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's a yeah. trap. It's a trap. Yeah. And I, yeah. and I, and to be fair, to be fair with, with Peter Mullier, it's a very tough position to, to be in, you know, I mean, it's not easy. So yeah. Yeah. I, just think it's, I agree. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. But again, to come back to my point, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to understand who is for anymore. Uh, you know, because that silhouette Alaya created, uh, it has become a very conventional kind of a, you know, tennis dress almost. A kind mm-hmm. of a silhouette and except like I, you know, again, some certain environs on, of Upper East Side or Mayfair or, you know, whatever. I really, yeah. How do you update it? Uh, and how do you make it more relevant for younger people? I don't know. Maybe some, I like, I'm thinking now, maybe he should like, if he t- would turn that all, all that whole story and speaking of fabrics, brought maybe some like 
tech fabrics in. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you like made all this shit out of Gore-Tex, I wonder how that would look. Like that could be I, really cool. That's 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 exactly what I'm telling you. I think it would be amazing. I think that would really be surprising. And at the same time, one thing that people forget about Alaya is amazing suiting, like beautiful suits that he used to make, like oversized coats. You know, not everything was like clingy, uh, mm-hmm. sexy. You know, he also made things that were oversized. He made things that were tailored. Uh, beautiful blazers, beautiful pantsuits, things like that. So he could have gone that direction, but instead, you know, it's this kind of like, okay, 96, you know, sort of thing. And, and that's kind of been rehashed and it's been copied by so many brands, you know? So yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I would agree like a high tech approach would be super interesting and, um, and maybe tone down the sexiness actually and focus on the lines. Focus on I the architecture, so. you know, that would be quite yeah. interesting. Yeah. 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 I think so. Yeah. Because yeah, I, like, I completely agree with you. Alaya has always equaled sex. You know, you look at the most iconic images and like, yeah, I don't know how you make that sexy air. <laughs> you, no, it's, it's, you cannot go. <laughs> yeah. You can't. Like, yeah. I mean, the, the, the only not to youth I saw is that like, okay, he made like, what was like one or two looks out of denim. And I was like, but even that was so obvious. And that's also like, not that maybe that's not that modern anymore. Yeah, no. I think we should wait and see what the second collection is going to be. Because, I, I you think know, so too. Yeah. And I'm also uh, very curious how it's going to, if they're going to do anything besides the collections, because they must. I don't think they're going to, I don't think that brand can, if they want to bring it into 21st century, I don't think that brand can coast on, you know, two collections a year, like it was on their life. They, they are going to have to do something, but I just hope it's not like a, you know, Nike collaboration. You know? <laughs> I hope it will be something meaningful. Well, I heard that the perfume has always been struggling. So that's obviously not achieved what it was supposed to achieve. When Prada was involved in the brand before Richemont, uh, they had the bags and they had the shoes. And that really, really helped because as they didn't want it to be independent, but at the same time, you know, they had to, you had to find a balance there. So, um, he was not really involved with the shoes and bags, by the way. You know, he mm. didn't really, yeah, he didn't I really think he, he didn't, cared. No, yeah. didn't really care, but that was important for the brand. So I'm assuming if they come up with, very strong accessories, uh, maybe a new perfume. Mm-hmm. I was also thinking that maybe Balenciaga m- might want to go down that route. I was thinking about that earlier with the perfumes because I don't know what the situation is. But yeah. if you do, cu- if you do couture, the perfume is logically attached to that, you know. So right. I was sort of thinking, ah, maybe they're going to try to launch a perfume under them now. But let's see. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Cool. Should we, uh, anything else in picture you want to discuss? Oh, what, what, uh, Schiaparelli? I love Schiaparelli. I love what Daniel Roseberry does. I really, really respect him as a designer, but this time for some reason, I found it quite heavy handed mm. and, um, it didn't have the sort of poetry that it normally has for me. So I was less sensitive to it. But I do recognize that I love the exuberance. I love the kind of the eccentricity. I love the embellishment. It's just that for this moment in time, uh, it doesn't really feel like the right 
proposal to me. And I'm much more interested in seeing pure shapes, seeing architecture, seeing something that is much more sleek, uh, mm-hmm. which is the reason why, again, I was drawn towards the purity at Balenciaga, if you want to call mm-hmm. it like that, you know. But mm-hmm. this kind of like over, over embellished thing for me also feels very uh, Instagram uh, focused, you know, and I'm yeah. not like, I don't know. I, again, I'm, I was wondering about Schiaparelli. I'm wondering how well they're doing uh, financially because a lot of celebrities wear sure. it, but I'm not sure what they sell. To be honest, yeah, with you. I'm yeah. not sure. Well, they don't even uh, they don't even sell to store. Like they don't sell to any retailers. It's all like you have to go and order it. It's all like press so, on their yeah. website. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. but I, I had the same reaction as you. I thought it was too on the nose. I thought it was just too much, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I thought also like, yeah, just like take it down 30% mm. you know, and do concentrate on shapes, you know, and, and not on the embellishments and it would have worked. I mean, you, you, you have to recognize that he did manage to create something that holds your attention and he did manage to create a language, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. So you have to, you have to give yeah, that, yeah, yeah. you have to give that to him. But at the same time, it's like all these brands that have buzz, you know, it's, it's valid for two years maybe. And then they have to move on and they have to do something with that, uh, right. that goes further. So I'm curious to see how he's going to expand on that vocabulary and how he's going to make that language richer. You know, so I'm waiting, yeah. waiting for that. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree, and it does need expansion. It's because it's almost like, uh, how long can you be prepping that brand, or are exactly they really going to continue that way? Which makes no financial sense, but okay, we don't know the inner workings, but we'll see. Um, well, to oh, and yeah, almost forgot <laughs> Galliano <laughs> at Margiela. Well, did you uh, did you watch the film, the entire thing? Like this, like sort of no, podcast. No, no, you you have to be Philippe Hashemi to watch one hour and fifteen <laughs> minutes of fashion film. Where I say it with the sincerest respect because I'm not cut out for that. Like I'll sit through twenty minutes of a show, like totally fine. But I'm not gonna watch an hour and fifteen minutes of a movie, and and I've I've had disagreements about that, and I'm like I really can't. So give me the <laughs> synopsis. I'm I'm more than happy to. <laughs> and again, I admire because I I know you live and breathe fashion, and you know I think uh, and I admire that about you because I mean I do too. But I feel like you're on a whole other level. So give me the synopsis <laughs> of the hour and fifteen minutes movie. <laughs> well, thank, thanks for the for the compliment. But uh, yeah, it's no, true. It's it's totally true. I I really believe that it could have been just him talking for the first twenty minutes, talking about the clothes, talking about the process, which I find fascinating because I love the way. He talks about his ideas and fabrics. He's so passionate. He's so Mm -hmm. obsessed with things that it really, really draws you in. And it's wonderful, you know, but he could just stop there. That's it for me, you know, and just present the clothes in a way that is more straightforward. Um, Even if it's a film to do something that is, you know, much more simple because Mm -hmm. we lose the whole point of how 
intricate, complex, beautiful, exciting some of the clothes are. And when you really saw the, the shapes, when he was talking about the coats, talking about the fabric treatment, all the steps that he goes through to get to the final piece, it's just fascinating. I just yeah. love, love listening to him, you know. So I would yeah. rather listen to John Galliano for hours talk about his work <laughs> than see, see that movie. Because I think for me, it's it's not necessary, you know, it's, it's not important. Just, yeah, yeah. just his, his, his excitement and his, um, how can I say, his kind of obsession also with certain mm -hmm. things, that makes it more compelling to me than a 45-minute film with some, like, you know, horror tale, whatever. You know? Yeah, so, it was an hour uh, and 15 minutes. I was like, I'm not, you know, because, and I did see, like, the first, five minutes when he was talking and I completely agree. It's just like, it yeah. really sucks you in because yeah, yeah it's very charismatic. Yeah. You know? He's yeah. incredibly charismatic when he talks about the clothes and you can see he is a true artist. Like he can't mm -hmm. do anything else. That's what he does. Yeah. But then like you said, but then like, I don't need to just show me like really beautiful detailed pictures so I can see the silhouette and the details and the fabric. And I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't, you know, you can tell me the story in the press release. That's fine. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But, you know, at the same time, I have to tell you one thing. It was very strange. I was watching uh, was watching him. It was in shot in black and white. And I think he's talking to uh, Olivier Rizzo. So they're having a conversation, you know, about the, about the collection. And um, I was looking at his eyes and looking at him. And there's something about him that is, you know, broken. Something about Galliano. Yes. That is weathered, weathered down, broken. And in a way, I have to tell you, it makes him quite touching as a, as a person. It makes know. him, you know, it makes him very vulnerable in a way. And if you think about all the things that have happened in the past and all the, all the burnout and all the stories mm -hmm. and all, all the outrage and everything, you look at him today and there's something quite strong about his survival as yeah. a creative person and the fact that he's, uh, thriving again that his ideas are you know big again and he's alive there's something quite amazing about that but I also sense a, a, a fragility which i guess you know anybody that creative has but mm -hmm. that sort of touched me and i think the the film did that really well at the beginning to sort of yeah. make you understand that he has this kind of a unique voice but at the same time it might not be modern or it might not be contemporary but it's still his own music in a way that's his mm -hmm. own thing you know and he owns that you know so yeah. it's uh yeah. yeah it was kind of charming but at the same time anything that's charming can also be a bit you know nostalgic or or whatever so yeah, yeah. it was uh, yeah. that it's, feeling that I, yeah it's funny i had a, exactly the same feeling when i was watching him and i thought you have been through some pain and yeah. I, I am sure his dismissal from Dior just absolutely shattered him. Absolutely shattered him. And, you know, we can talk about the excesses and the stupidity and all that. That's a whole other conversation. But, man, I mean, talk about someone who's been, like, dragged through the dirt. Mm. And you can see that yeah. he never quite recovered. It, it's almost like Margiela and... Let's face it, it could have been much worse than Margiela, <laughs> but, but it's yeah. almost like an asylum for him, you know, where he has finally like 
found his sandbox and he can sort of like close off the world and just do his thing because like we said he can't do anything else he's a true artist but i agree you can you really can feel you can see the pain on his face and yeah it's definitely no definitely and i think he's been marked for life you know if you talk about Mm -hmm. dior and if you talk about everything that happened it's something that he's never going to get rid of you know it's always going to be hovering around him but i think at the same time um the fact that he reinvented himself somehow and that he managed to find within margella's world uh, a voice of his own i guess uh is still you know and he does work with some of margella's Mm-hmm. Uh, fet- fetish items like the trench coat, the denim, you know, the, this whole yeah. idea of upcycling. He does it. So he's also respectful yeah. of, uh, of Martin's vocabulary, you know, in the first place. So I guess, okay, we have to give him that definitely. Yeah, you know, totally. Uh, and I'm going to say the words that I never th- thought would come out of my mouth in a million years, but we ha- kind of have to thank Renzo Rosso for giving him... <laughs> <laughs> for giving Galliano uh, a stage. A home. So, yeah, uh, a home. Thank yeah. you, Renzo Rosso. Three words <laughs> that I never <laughs> thought I would say out loud. <laughs> uh, uh, speaking of which, and we're kind of really fast forwarding, uh, what did you think of uh, Glenn Martin's uh, Diesel debut? Well, I watched the video and I have to tell you that. I felt it was quite bold and it was quite kind of uh, direct and quite a strong statement. And I kept thinking while I was watching it, if I was 15 years old, you know, would that turn me on? Mm-hmm. And I believe that he stepped into something. He stepped into a generation that knows nothing about the brand. And he sort of made it in a way, uh, you know, irreverent, exciting, fresh. I just felt it was kind of like a bit, yeah, the film was clever. And I sort of, I kept thinking about that. I was like, okay, if I was 15, you know, uh, would I be excited by that? And uh, mm-hmm. that's that's kind of where I see Diesel because, you know, Diesel is in fact a very young brand and it appears right. to very, very young teenage, you know, I mean, from from teenage onwards, but it's, when I was a teenager, it's the kind of the cool jeans that you wanted to wear mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. thing, you know? So I think it's sort of like going back to that. And that idea of boldness is something that he has himself. So I actually found it, yeah, quite exciting. And I'd like to know how it's made. I'd like to know mm-hmm. what kind of fabrics they use, if it's, uh, you know, sustainable or not, if it's eco-friendly. I'd be curious about that mm-hmm. because denim is obviously a very problematic field, you know, when right. it comes to that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I thought it was also different from my project. I saw also a split mm-hmm. between the two. So I think he's learning to compartmentalize as well and separate the two things. So I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. 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 Me too. I thought, well, I thought it was like, this is the best thing Diesel's ever done. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Because that, that was fashion and that was very, very young and it was, it, and it was sexy, but mm-hmm. in that, sexy like very young yeah you know kind of street and slutty kind of thing as opposed to they say like alaya which is sexy but very elevated elegant kind of sex yeah respectful yeah yeah, respectful sexy no i felt that diesel was yeah it was kind of tongue-in-cheek and it was a bit mm -hmm. kind of you know a bit like kind of um 
a bit provocative, but in a, in a kind of young way, in a like, you know, devil may care sort of way. But I like that. Exactly. I think it's kind of, it's irreverent, but it's, it's still young and it doesn't try too hard in my opinion. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that exactly. was, yeah. no, so I liked it. I thought it was a good start. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Me too. And I mean, I wish I could say the same thing about the white project and Fila collaboration, but that to me made absolutely no sense. It seemed like just white project, but just with logos on it. Well, now I'm going to have to ask you the obvious question. <laughs> Eugene, I want, <laughs> I want to know how you felt about the little shorts at uh, Prada. And, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And if you're going to wear them or not, if you're going to show us, show us some legs next I was season. Going to, I was going to save the best for last, but hey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? I mean, yeah. more, this, more flesh, more flesh than clothes, I think more, at the end of the day. Yeah. And it, it's just, it was neither here nor there. It was very, you know what it was? Um, it wasn't fantasizing. It mm. wasn't fantasizing and not in this kind of endearing way like Ludovic the Sansonin can do it. Mm -hmm. You know, where he can, you know, where it's obviously like, you know, very gay, you know, very sexy. And you could say like it's objectification, but kind of with love. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and whereas this was just, just like, okay, these are clothes for little boys. And I'm, I mean, I'm not, uh, there's probably an audience for it, but I'm not a little boy and like, I don't know. It's also what? like th this kind of like fetishization of, of prepubescent male bodies, which, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I don't really relate to. And I find that also very passe because, you know, somebody like Eddie Sliman did exactly. it already like 20 years ago. And okay, I thought the, the whole discussion was kind of, you know, empty by now. But yeah, yeah first of all, I, I don't find it empowering for men to, uh, to be dressed like no. that, you know? No, that's uh, exactly, it's, it's the opposite. Sorry to interject. It's, it's the opposite of empowering. This is why yeah. I said it's infantilizing. It's yeah. the opposite of, of empowering. And, and the problem for me is that Prada was always about power, you know, because mm -hmm. uh, the shows that she did and the statements that she made, however perverse they were, you always had a sense of confidence and a sense of strength coming from a Prada woman or a Prada guy. You know, they, they might have been sensitive types. They might have been artistic types. You always had, uh, first of all, for the woman sexiness, which Raph totally wiped out of the Prada world. Yeah. And then for men now, it's like, okay, let's, let's turn them into defenseless teenage boys, you know? And I just don't, I'm just not buying it. I'm not buying I know, it. And I know. I don't find it relevant. I don't find it contemporary. I don't find it desirable. I think it alienates a lot of people like you and me, you know, who might be mm, interested absolutely. in the brand. And, and then, uh, if I see another triangle like blown up on the clothes or the bags, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to jump of the sense, you know, I will, I will jump. I will jump because it's, <laughs> yeah, it's for me. It's desperation. It's like, come on, it come is. on, buy. Yeah. You know, buy our logo. That's all that's left. That's no. all yeah. that's left. If you go into a Prada store, you cannot find a garment that doesn't have a logo on it in some yeah. shape or form. 
So what, what are you telling the audience? That that's all that's left, that you hmm. really have nothing to say. And you got me thinking right now, what I loved about Ruff, those, you know, first defining years from, you know, 98 to whatever, 2006 or what, is that he took this teenage fragility and he made armor out of it. And that's what, that's why I was so drawn to it. So that's why I so was so drawn to it. It, it mm-hmm. was it was my armor, uh, and that's why like I you know I I used to wear rough a lot, and I have it. Yeah, because those. he made he made amazing coats, he made amazing jackets, and they were very really? they made they made you feel great. They gave you that mm-hmm. sense of control, you know. Yeah. And and it was of course it was a a new kind of masculinity that he was exploring but at the same time it was still about confidence in a strange way it was still about youth but at the same time this idea of being free you know this idea Mm -hmm. of being liberated in some sense but now yeah i mean prada is for me it's it makes me quite sad you know because i i love mucha prada as a as a as a designer as somebody who has a very complex uh, contradictory language and who has a lot of paradoxes in her world. And I find that fascinating. And I think Raf coming in is basically, again, undermining a strong female voice. Mm-hmm. And there are not that many strong female voices in fashion anymore. I mean, Phil no. Philo is not there. Yeah. Jill Sander is not there. We have Rika Wakubo, you know, we have maybe yeah. a few others. But yeah, it, it sort of undermines her, her voice. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I though I agree. And I yeah, when I saw that collection I was like, okay, like who who is this for? And again, you can do you can do youth and you can even do like objectification, but it doesn't like again, you can do it with love, like you know, like JW Anderson, right? Like everything mm-hmm. is done with love there. Yeah. And uh even though you could say like a lot of the clothes can, are very kind of quite infantile, you know. Let's face it; like they're they're very sort of. But uh, it's a it's a different thing, you know. It's a different thing yeah. because for Lueve, I actually love the collection and I love the images by uh, by mm-hmm. David Sims. What you're saying about being childish, it's actually the the good side of childish, you know. Yes, it's yes, this, yeah. exactly, exactly. It's, it's kind of, the childish. Yeah. It's that wonder. It's the childish wonder and a fragility. But again, it's like. I feel like what JW does, it's with love, you know, it's mm-hmm. done with love. He, yeah. he like, he cares about the person he's creating the clothes for, you know, yeah, definitely. They're, they're almost like gifts to support. And also the, the, if you look at the images, they're much more about characters than, you know, uh, this Prada mm-hmm. vision of a standard body that basically like a robot thing, you know? Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, that, uh, you, the, you, you nailed it. It was exactly yeah. what was, it was exactly the word that was going through my head. Very robotic, where mm-hmm. with the Loewe show was very human. Yeah, exactly. Very human. Especially yeah. like there's this one guy who was like a bit overweight and yeah. he's not your typical and he had those like pajamas. <laughs> and, like, and you know, at the same time, what for us, because we're from the almost the same generation from us, it's also this kind of nostalgia of, 
of the early 90s, you know, and the honesty, the kind of rawness of the images we used to see. And it was not about perfection. It was about personality, about character, about not being, you know, uh, like everybody else and also being slightly awkward. But I think uh, GW did that super well with Loewe because it's still luxury, but it's playful and it's fun, you know, and, and you want to engage in it. You want to, to, you, you, in a way, you want to sort of belong to that group of people because they seem to be individuals. They're the opposite yeah. of what the Prada guy is, you know? They're exactly. not, they're not replicants, you know, they're actual yeah. people. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's yeah. true. And, Again, on some level, I don't mind a little of the replicant thing when it's a strong statement, when it's an empowering statement. And mm -hmm. this was just like, yeah, this was the opposite of that. I want to ask you, is there one single men's collection that really stood out for you? Because I found the season a bit lackluster, to be honest. Yeah, nothing. Like, even... Uh, Uh, yeah, I, I even found the Recoins collection lacking a bit, you know, compared to the previous four. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought, and and I know, like I know, like Rick works in stages. He'll have a look in mine, and he'll start mining it, which is great. And whether I get on board or don't get on board, it doesn't matter because he's got his thing going, and he's gonna pound that vision. And I respect that so much because not a lot of people have that kind of uh, commitment. Yeah. This time it started to feel a little bit tired. Um, mm. And I think I know exactly what it was. It was too loosey-goosey for my taste. Mm -hmm. It was a little bit too flowy, a little bit too... Uh, Easy go easygoing yeah, in a way. Yeah, and, yeah. and I like that when he put some armor on that shit. And mm -hmm. that, that's when I'm like, I don't mind it's loose, you know, flowing. And the best looks from Rick's show was when he took those long silhouettes and he put some armor on it. You know, he put mm -hmm. like a very structured jacket on top. Yeah. And that's for me work. That I was like, you know, this is fantastic. But there wasn't that much of it in there. And I wish Rick would do more. Like if he wants to go that way, I, that's totally fine by me. And I think he should, because let's face it, wherever Rick goes, it's going to be Rick. And that's yeah. what we love about him. Definitely. And, he's, and he is the last modernist left standing. Um, and so I, so that was, that was my reaction. Um, no, I, I agree with you 100%. I, I also, agree that it starts to feel a little tired as you say that you know we were missing maybe that that bolt of uh, of electricity of something new of something creative you know daring mm -hmm. and i think but still i i agree you know i think it's still totally his language he owns it like 500 everything he touches turns into him <laughs> which i love mm -hmm. yeah so yeah, this is why um, i love it I would say that in a sea of standardized robotic fashion, to have somebody like him, of course, is a treasure. You know, he's oh, definitely... Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Rick, Rick is a gem. There is no, there is no question there. But listen, you can't hit it out of the park every single time. So No, of course not. Of course you not. Know, on, on that level, uh, nothing, yeah, nothing really stood out to me. Uh, what about you? 
I found in general that people played it really safe, you know. They didn't really try to bring new ideas. They stuck to their guns, what they know sells, what they know works. And uh, also another thing is that we get so many shows now happening at all kinds of times. And it's like all over the place. There's no, yeah. there's no more calendar, you know, to speak of. So I feel that in a way, this also makes us a bit wary mm-hmm. of, uh, of fashion shows and this whole thing that you're thinking, okay, is this ever going to end? Because now it's a continuous stream of things. So it, because of that, and because we're constantly bombarded with collections, it becomes more difficult to stand out and to distinguish yeah. yourself. And I think that's what happened this season, maybe for menswear, because mm-hmm. it happened at the same time as, you know, couture and same time as like other shows. And, and then you have the pre-collections at the same time. So it's all these like discourses competing against each other for attention. And yeah, that's a bit yeah. confusing. Yeah. You know, you know, what was the pleasant surprise for me uh, was the rope. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you've seen it yet. I yeah, I looked a, at it. Yeah, I, I thought it was it. a very strong collection. And I feel like the row has lost steam in the last couple of years where it became mm-hmm. like, okay, there's a fine line between minimalist and boring, <laughs> right? Let's face it. And they went straight into boring territory where I was like, this is so sexless mm-hmm. and just just like... Like, I don't, I'm fine with this kind of like oversized, like it's going to be all about the fabric stuff, but man, it went into like, one like boredom territory. And this show really brought it back. And I thought that it was a fantastic show. And I also like the men's like, okay, they borrowed heavily from trees in terms of silhouette, you know, those kind of like large shorts and then like mm-hmm. uh you know large sandals and then like uh overcoat on top you know kind yeah. of a raincoat on top which is a very dress silhouette, silhouette yeah. like, with the mm-hmm. hanging belt but okay fine uh i i didn't mind that so much but i thought it was very strong in terms of silhouette both men's and women's and uh so you know bravo for that because i really kind of lost like I've lost interest in the row over the past couple of years. And like, I always argue with my wife. Like I always argue with Alice. She's like, no, they're I'm like, I don't see anything here. Like this is not Jill Sander. You know, this is not mm. hell like, like stuff that used to excite me about minimalism. But this show was great. It was a very yeah, it, surprise. I, I agree that it definitely had energy. And it's interesting you mentioned Dries because I get a very Belgian vibe from it. You know, mm-hmm. I get this kind of like Belgian, also like kind of French sort of old Europe, you know, kind of vibe a little bit. So I think yeah. they did that really well. But at the same time, I, I don't know if it's enough to really turn me on, you know, and to think, oh, wow, like I really... Because right. a lot of things that they showed in the menswear, they, they did it before for women. So for me, it was almost mm-hmm. like an adaptation of the, of the silhouettes that were successful for them, for the women's wear. But I still would like to see, of course, the quality and to see how it's made. And, yeah, yeah. And, you know, well, but it's made well. Like you can't, you know, that, that you, you can't take away from the brand. <laughs> it's also fucking expensive <laughs> for, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for, for what, you know, for what it was. Uh, for what I mean, for what it is, uh, it's yeah, it's crazy expensive. But, but I, I have to say that the fact that there's they still exist and that you know there is a client 
who wants this clause and who's willing to pay that amount of money, that's also just by itself an interesting fact because it shows mm -hmm. that, you know, when minimalism has energy and when it has like a strength, then it works and, you know, people want it. So again, yeah. going back to the opening looks of Balenciaga, which were extremely simple and pared down, I'm hoping that, you know, maybe, uh, I'm not going to say that it's a rebirth of, of minimalism, but I see something much more sculptural and much mm -hmm. more sleek coming up, mm -hmm. you know, and that's the thing with the raw. It's very graphic. You look at the silhouettes, it's very constructive. It's almost like a sketch on paper, you yeah. know? Yeah. And I, I, I like this idea of, of fashion, which at the end of the day is very, uh, also very couture, you know, this kind of mm -hmm. like, it's all, all about the silhouette and not about decoration or embellishment. Mm -hmm. It's all about the geometry and the impact it has uh, in the world, you know, how it sort of like interacts with the elements in a way. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I totally agree. I also love, uh, I, I do love uh, fashion for a woman who doesn't care what men think. And, and mm -hmm. I think the rose certainly tries that. But I feel like they've been failing more than succeeding. And this collection kind of brought it back to me. And you're right. Like there was a very Belgian um, vibe to it, uh, which, listen, I, you're not going to get enough from me on that one. <laughs> but it, it's always a fine line with, with minimal things. They can be very rich or they can be dry. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's yeah. it's you know it's also what what Jill Sander used to say about about minimalism that for her it was there was a richness to it, and there was yeah. something generous and something almost um, yeah uh, I'm not going to say prolific but there was like a, yeah a, an abundance about minimalism mm -hmm. that existed and I think sometimes the role really captures that they capture this kind of like baroque minimalism in a way you know it's this sort of yeah. idea that it has this kind of resonance but mm -hmm. sometimes it was not like this and it was felt more dry you know especially oh, yeah, for yeah, the, yeah. No, i mean for sometimes it was oh. downright like okay this is brunella Cuccinelli, but in black you know <laughs> yes. where i'm like i don't like that's yeah so like i said there's a fine line between making it fashion and making yeah. it just luxury clothes because you know we have Hermes for that anytime <laughs> yeah. we want yeah 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 and other brands yeah just like Cuccinelli or you know you could even go to like I don't know Nehera or you could go to these brands you know it's also like mm -hmm. this kind of idea of a of a sort of um I don't know yeah or Jill even today if you look at Jill I mean it's still you know, tries to follow that kind of, of minimal thing. Even though I have, sometimes I look at Jill Sander today and it reminds me more of Phoebe Philo than Jill herself, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was like, I felt like with that collection. Yeah. It was a little like some of it was like, yeah, all Celine where, uh, especially in the colors. Mm -hmm as well but also in some silhouettes where which in a way is, is fantastic because it shows you how much people miss phoebe as a voice yes. and how she really brought something that was different and she really had a singular voice in fashion you know mm -hmm. because now mm -hmm. we realize we've been missing it you know yeah definitely. absolutely again no. clothes for women who don't care what men think and yeah that, like that is the most empowering thing hmm. to me you know uh, which 
that, that's what I really love. But uh, yeah, I can't think of uh, anything else that I really loved. Obviously, we haven't really seen, uh, except undercover, we haven't really seen the Japanese come out yet. True. True. Uh, so maybe <laughs> the best is still yet to come. <laughs> Who but knows? That's, but that's what I, that's what I'm telling you with this ever expanding calendar and all these things happening in a very you know chaotic, anarchic sort of way. It's become more difficult to get the continuity between all mm -hmm. these events and to try to gather them together. And I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing for fashion. I don't know. Yeah. You know. No, but I mean, yeah. I know it's a bad thing for us because we have to spend money to travel to Paris and I would rather like spend it, you know, when I can see a lot of great fashion as opposed to this diluted calendar. And yeah. on the one hand, I'm happy that a lot of brands sort of like went to fill the, that breach, you know, so like a lot of young faces, like a lot of new faces, but it, they didn't back it up with the, with the, with the clothes mm -hmm. so um yeah. louis vuitton <laughs> the only thing that has the, the only thing that sort of like struck me about vuitton again is that some of it was like very camp you know i mean mm -hmm. there were like pink furs and things like that and and I, I don't know i just again i would love to know how many of these items they actually produce uh, yeah. how many people actually buy the clothing. I'm not talking about the bags and shoes. I'm talking about the clothing because mm -hmm. it seems to me again, like, like the women's wear, it seems to me that Vuitton shows have nothing to do with reality. They're just, you know, yeah. marketing tools, uh, used by the brand to, uh, to sell more bags. And I think the clothing is the accessory of the accessory. And yeah. that's it for me. So. Uh, I liked the show last winter, and I, I I have to say there are still clothes that I like in this in this show that he did. But I I, I don't know. It's, I just don't really know who it's supposed to be for. And mm -hmm. and again, does it have a reality beyond beyond the runway? I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I I like what uh, Guy Trevay wrote about it. That again, like he took so many references. And smash them all together, and that and turn them into a kind of reference circus. Yeah, uh, that you couldn't really see a through line mm -hmm. again through the collection because you had those hockey gloves, and then you had all those quote unquote homages, which is we could use another word for that. <laughs> um, yes, and. But again, I had, I was like, again, like, where's the collection? Yeah. And I think yeah, and all it, the plus. It did not. It, oh, sorry. I, I, yeah. yeah. Tell me, tell me. I just thought that God, all the pluses, I think, are coming from Ip Kamara. I think they're coming from mm -hmm. the styling point and not from the clothes. No, but you could also argue that Prada is a styling exercise. You know, if you True. look at that collection, it, it's, it seems to be like, pre prefab editorial work you know it's like pre-mache it's just ready for people to shove in editorials and i don't know i just uh, again for me it's it's about the reality of that that look and the reality of these clothes but i don't think that vuitton this season 
particularly resonated uh, with menswear. And again, yeah. one thing I'd like to say about Louis Vuitton is that if you look at Nicolas Gesquier's collections for Balenciaga, mm -hmm. they feel more modern and more relevant to me today than any of the stuff he has done for Vuitton. Yeah. And actually, a lot of things he did for Vuitton you wouldn't even remember today. You know, if I ask you, okay, no. tell me about, yeah. you know, season two of Jesquier for Vuitton, you would be like, quite, you know, you would struggle yeah, yeah. Uh, remembering anything. So that also says quite a lot about the brand. You know, I mean, is it about, the, do they want the clothes to be remembered by anybody? Is it about, you know, making history in any way? You know, it's like, yeah. yeah. Probably not. And no. I think you're absolutely right. It's about, just it's, like it's, Dior, it's, just like yeah. Dior is not about making history either. And with no. Galliano, it was all about history, you know, history yeah. and his inspirations and history yeah. about what, the way he treated the brand. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, what are we going to take, take away from Maria Grazia in 10 years time or 15 years time? What is it we're going to keep, you know, like a pleated skirt and a denim logo? <laughs> it's no. like, well, we actually, yeah, actually, I bet they're going to, they're going to bury that once it's over. I think they're going to, bury that in like three seconds and make sure no one remembers that no yeah because it's really embarrassing at this point i mean if i was a museum curator you know i'd i'd, I'd struggle like trying to buy yeah some. what do you buy yeah because you in a way you you have to you know i mean all these brands it's like givenchy what would you buy from givenchy today you know yeah that that has another was a disappointment that was a disappointment and yeah Here's the thing about Matthew that I've come to. Well, I knew it a long time ago, obviously, but this is what hits me again and again about Matthew, Matthew Williams. Um, he's, he's not a trade, trained designer. He is a product guy. He is a fan. He knows what he loves wearing mm -hmm. himself and he can manifest that. And so when you look at Alix and Alix men's only, it works. For me, it works. And again, this show that he did, the college show, like the man's leaks was great. I, like, mm -hmm. I was looking at it and I thought like, yeah, this is like, I'll, I would, I can get behind that. The women's part. No, you know, it was yeah. like this kind of, so like, okay, you know, because he's not a trained designer, he does not know how to design for women. You know, he has that vision and it's kind of like a bit to Eddie Sliman, you know, very referential, like very like skimpy, sexy, you know, nymphat kind of a thing. Yeah. The man's work. But that's the problem with giving someone like Matthew a storied house like Givenchy. I feel like he doesn't really know what to do with it. Mm. You know, he just doesn't have, maybe he doesn't have the wherewithal for a storied house like that because that man's collection it's like he was, you, it was almost felt like he was taking notes from Kim Jones. Hmm. He's like, okay, what do we do? Okay, we bring a graffiti artist, you know, like we do some collaboration. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 gra the, the graffiti was like Faith Connection, you know, I mean, come on, you know, it's not something yeah, that wasn't they, know, they did it better <laughs> than, yeah. than him. Yeah. So, yeah. And the best silhouettes, they were Tishi silhouettes in that collection. Exactly. Yeah. So it was a mix between weird things like, you know, Tishi's best offs, basically, and then some of like Faith Connection there or whatever, you know, this kind of idea of streetwear, yeah. elevated streetwear, but 
No, I think Givenchy is a brand that has struggled with uh, since since Ricardo left. I mean, basically, they're really yeah. struggling trying to find a strong identity, trying to have a storytelling or a discourse that works. And it's obvious today. And Claire was also a disaster. I hated it. I hated what she did. I just thought it was so random and uh, generic. What, and, which you know. one? Sorry. Claire, oh, Claire. Claire. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. That was, yeah. Talk about forgettable. <laughs> uh, you know, and again, it was like typically a, a kind of uh, runway collections where the marketing team says, oh, but we need a black coat. We need like yeah. that dress. We need like, you know, a, a printed whatever blouse mm-hmm, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it just felt like uh, there was no, never any red line throughout, never yeah. something that was a thread, a running thread in her, in her work, you know, Exactly. but, but Givenchy is kind of like losing relevance. I feel, I mean, what is the relevance of Givenchy today compared to the relevance it had when Ricardo was there, you know, that's yeah. also, like, yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's exactly why they hired Matthew, because let's face it, it was really Ricardo who brought the streetwear and and the, cou- and the couture, yeah, yeah, totally, couture. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just don't know. Again, and I, I love Matthew, and I love what he does with Manza Leaks, but I don't know if he's, you know, I don't know if he's ready for mm. a house like that. Yeah. Um, so speaking of Tishi. Burberry finally felt like it was not an exercise in merchandising and not <laughs> for once not made for a market by a marketing team. <laughs> so, yeah. And he, uh, did you read what he, what he said in, uh, in Vogue? No, actually didn't look at that. What did he say? He, without saying it, he pretty much said like everything else before this was done by the marketing department. Oh, really? Okay. It, read between the lines and y- you will... See. Because and the, then finally the, he was like, fuck it, I'm, I'm just going to do what I do. I'm just... Okay, that's good. Because the CEO walked away. I mean, he left or whatever. So I, I don't know what's going on with this brand, but it sounds to me like it's a little unstable right now. Oh, yeah. Again, I, I haven't looked at the collection in, in detail, really, so I can't really... Say much Take a look. It. It's it's very it's very tishy, and I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's great. He's certainly done better stuff, but yeah. it's very tishy, and I it was I breathed the sign of relief when I said I wasn't even going to look at it. it. Was a friend of mine said, "No, you have to go see it because it's actually <laughs> Ricardo's work for once." And okay, uh, and I did, and I thought, okay. You know, now we finally seeing fashion. Not, not a single logo, like not a single Burberry check. Mm-hmm. You know, to, if it was a trench, it was like completely reworked. Uh, so you know, there were definitely this like a bondage element here and there, but like very structured. It, it was very tissue. So I was, I'm glad because again, talk about like running a brand into the ground. It's like, I mean, I'm becoming, I'm becoming totally allergic to logos. If I really think about it, I think that the nicest logo I can think of is the YSL 
logo mm-hmm. designed by Cassandre. That's a beautiful logo, I think. Yeah. And also, obviously, uh, the double C of Chanel, I think, is also graphically mm-hmm. super, super strong, you know. But when it comes to all the other logos, I just can't look at them anymore. It's just disgusting, know. you know. And we had this, we had this crap 20 years ago. I remember like yeah. 1999, 2000, when Marc Jacobs went to Vuitton and mm-hmm. suddenly it was like logo mania 20 years. I don't want to see that stuff again. You know, it's just yeah. so backwards. It's just so mm-hmm. boring. And, and to think that people would fork out huge amounts of money for a Dior ugly tote bag, you know, it's just like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, no, no. But as you know, this is what happens when you bring it to the masses and the masses want to fit in. And so they're going to go for the lowest common denominator crap. What I find curious is that the brands don't seem to care about brand dilution anymore. And I, I, I wonder if we will get to a point where they will start caring about brand dilution again. So now that we move to Manhattan, I want to tell you the story. Yeah, we can walk to Soho from where we are. And mm-hmm. so we cross Canal Street and Canal Street is where uh, all the fake bags counterfeits. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's where like counterfeit central. And we like we walking by uh, with my wife and Chez and she said, you know, given the state of fashion, this is completely legit. Because I mean, fashion did this to itself. I'm going to take it one step further. And I'm going to tell you that most of these logo pieces look like fakes. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, they, yeah, look, exactly. they, they look like counterfeit merchandise. And I'm also mm-hmm. starting to wonder if it's not their appeal. They yeah. just, they look like cheap fakes, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, With, so it's like... Yeah, yeah. we went yeah, the other day, and one woman is like, "I'll take three Chanel's in white." She was buying fake sunglasses. I was like, "This is amazing! I'm gonna start my own blog, like overheard in New York. Like, I'll take three Chanel's in white. Yeah. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> like, go to the no, but... like as far as sunglasses go, it's same shit. <laughs> but I mean, by by now, it has become obvious that. You know, uh, putting a logo on every single thing means that you have nothing to say. You know, it's just as simple as that. And it also means that you want to make larger profits and that you're just bastardizing your brand, you know. And to go back to this, what you were talking about, um, dilution, I think it's very interesting that um, the CEO of Balenciaga helped that couture revival because couture Mm -hmm. is also about, you know, uh, one of a kind pieces, very high end craftsmanship, a lot of time is spent doing things by hand, etc. And I think it's very smart because it adds value to the brand, but it also uh, redirects the attention of fashion towards the sort of really highest forms of creation. And one thing that Demnat said in that do- a Woman's Word um, Daily article, which was really funny for me to read was a Galliano quote, you know, he was like, yeah, um, everything from the couture will trickle down 
to the ready to wear. I was like, oh, this is Galliano. You know, it's totally <laughs> what, yeah. It's exactly yeah. the way Galliano used to talk about the couture. He was like, yes, couture is the lab where all the mm -hmm. new ideas get developed. And then it sort of, you know, trickles down to all the other product lines, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wow, this is it. We're in the 90s again. You know? So yeah, yeah. in a way, I, I found it quite, uh, quite funny that, you know, he was talking this way and that he was kind of, you know, putting couture at the center of his world. I was like, wow, this is totally like so last century. You know, I thought it was quite funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's purely, to be honest with you, a marketing decision on their part, or if they really believe that historicity and, you know, what you leave behind is, is in fact important. And that's my point, yeah. you know. What about all these brands in 15, 20, 30 years time? What is it that they're going to leave behind? So, yeah, that's a very good point that you raised, you know. Uh, are they worried about this, the CEOs, or they're not? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it, I, it doesn't seem to me like they worry about brand dilution. So but that might change. I'm curious to, yeah, yeah, I'm curious to see whether we're going to re relive, like, the late 80s, early 90s again, where mm -hmm. it was diluted to the point that yeah, um, yeah, yeah. nobody cared. Yeah. Or whether we have entered some kind of a new dimension when it's such a mass market phenomenon that uh, people was just, will just continue buying because there are ever new markets being opened up. You would, of course, now like China is the story. You know, without China, there is no luxury market to speak mm -hmm. of. Then it's probably going to be Africa, you know, then it's probably going to be India at some point. It's going to be Latin America. So I feel like as long as they're going to have like new markets yeah. available to them, then they're probably not going to worry about brand dilution. I don't know. I hope, I, I hope there will be back, backlash. And I think there is backlash in some strata of society of consumer base there's definitely backlash i mean mm -hmm. i see even when i looked on like i snobiety comments like people like, when i did that t-shirt article there were so many people like how can people be so fucking stupid to buy yeah yeah there's a lot of criticism definitely yeah. definitely so but then there's a whole other part of Consumers that are like, yeah, yeah getting you know, it. I'll take three. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. So yeah, I guess only only time will show whether brands, these brands, will dilute themselves to the point where people are not really going to care about fashion because to like the point of the no other, return. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because yeah. it's like when we said you said in the other episode, like all those logos seem interchangeable right now. Like it doesn't matter mm. if it says Burberry on your T-shirt or Givenchy or Dior. It's just like it's a stupid t-shirt. Same, same thing. Yeah, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Totally. Totally. So we'll see. Cool. Well, on that optimistic note, yeah, I <laughs> <Yes>. think uh, <laughs> I, I think we did, we did well today. Uh, thank you so much, Philippe, for joining me. It's, it's always a stimulating conversation. Thanks to you, Eugene. I really enjoyed it, like always. Thank you yeah. so much. Yeah. <laughs> Until the next time. All right. Take care. Bye. <laughs> Ciao. Bye. Ciao. You've been listening to the Styles Like Guys podcast, hosted by Eugene Rapkin, produced by Patrick Leduc. 
intro and outro music by Wesley Isolt of Cold Cave. Please support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Thank you for listening.